Good evening again, everyone. My prayer for all of us tonight is that we would each go home to our own country by another way. That's the last thing that's said about the wise men in Matthew's gospel, which we're going to read up here in just a few moments. On page 13, you can see the story there. They're literally called magi in the original text. It's this word we get our English word magic or magician from. So these were very interesting people, some sort of ancient combination of astronomer as well as astrologer. So not just observing and mapping the stars, but also receiving messages from them. And they were rich, as evidenced by the gifts they give to Jesus, and also quite powerful, as evidenced by the access that they had to King Herod, and also pagans, knowing nothing of biblical religion until they heard the Word of God quoted and explained to them there in Jerusalem, and then also heard, not simply heard the Word, but saw the Word of God in flesh there in Bethlehem. And I mention them tonight because I wonder how many of us are like the Magi this evening. How many of us are the strong of the world, the educated, the credentialed, the powerful, the successful, and the rich. I recently had a conversation that I've had so many times before, so many times that I can almost script it out as it's taking place. And I'm often tempted to do that. I'm often tempted in the midst of the conversation to say, wait a second, Let me tell you how this is going to go. You're about to ask me what I do for a living, and I'm going to tell you that I'm a pastor, and then you're going to apologize for the cuss word that you said a few moments ago, and then I'm going to tell you that I'm not the profanity police, and I don't care if you cuss, and then you're going to do one of two things. One, you might begin to confess all of your most personal, private, and currently pressing sins to me right here in the midst of this party, or you're going to dismiss Christianity entirely, but you'll do it in a very collegial and cordial way. You'll say something to the effect of, I grew up going to church, but then I went away to college and I just didn't see the need that I had any longer for organized religion. I'm really happy and excited and thankful that you're a minister. It's just not something I need. I'm already quite happy. I'm already very content with my life. I'm already a good person. And that's the goal of religion anyway, isn't it? To be good and to be happy. And that's how the conversation always goes. This recent conversation went exactly that that way, and I left it as quickly as I possibly could, but also thinking we're not communicating the message of Christ to the strong in ways that they can truly and need to engage or answering the questions that they themselves have. But here we see the magi, strong of the world, coming to Jesus. And so why did they come? And what did Jesus, even as a baby, as a child, have to offer these men who already possessed all that the world had to offer? So three things this morning, briefly, or this evening. First of all, gratitude. William Willimon, he's the chaplain or was the chaplain at Duke Divinity School, a theologian and a professor there. And he says that a theology that speaks to the strong will emphasize gratitude as the foundation of our response to God. So think with me just for a second. What is a charismatic person? It's someone whom others are drawn to and who are attracted to. It's it's people who get attention, and the Magi were certainly that. Everywhere they went, they got all sorts of attention. They showed up in Jerusalem, sent the entire city into a tizzy, and then they even gained attention from Herod as well. And so is this what it means to be a charismatic person? Well, not literally, because the word charisma in Greek is the word for gift. And so a charismatic person is first and foremost a gifted person. 
And to say that is to affirm that first and foremost, that which we have and that which we are are not ours. It's not from us, but ultimately from God, who is the source of all goodness and all beauty and strength. And so, if you are the gifted of the world, if you are strong of the world, then you need to understand and be honest with yourself that who you are and what you have comes from God. This is what the Magi do. They acknowledge it. They admit it. And we know that because they give gifts. They give gifts of thanks and gifts of acknowledgement that everything that they've enjoyed and everything that they've possessed come from him. Gratitude is especially the prerogative of the gifted and the strong. And so if you're among the strong tonight, if you're among the gifted, and you're not here to express gratitude, then you're not being honest. You're not being honest about your life, about who you are and about what you have and why you even have it. And this is the first thing that Jesus offers you this evening. The second that he offers in his carnation to these men and even to us is the offer of joy. You see there on page 13 there in verse 10, it says that even before the wise men, the magi, while they, before they even see Jesus, they're still on the path to see him face to face. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I wonder if you know that this evening, regardless of who you are, regardless of what your life has had or not had, if you're strong or weak or attractive and influential or small and weak in the eyes of the world, whatever it may be, do you know what it is to rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Because it's not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It's predicated upon what's currently happening around you and the world around you. Joy, however, is internal. It is deep. It's like this subterranean river or reservoir that the roots of your soul sink deeply. And so that regardless of what's happening above the surface in the external world, there's something else going on internally. There's something that's inextinguishable within you, some sort of delight that's coursing through your life. G.K. Chesterton, who's this famous English philosopher, Christian apologist from the 20th century, he wrote a poem about tonight. It's called The Nativity. And he spoke about the wonder and even the joy that the Magi encounter here. He says this, though the darkness be noisy with systems, dark fancies that fret and disprove, still the plumes stir around us, above us, the wings of the shadow of love. So the fountains of life are unbroken, their splendor unshorn, the secret, the symbol, the promise, a child is born. What he's trying to capture there is that there can be and there is a dramatic and holy disconnect between the darkness of the noise of the systems around us and the fountain of life and even of joy within us. And so again, do you know it this evening? Don't dismiss it. Don't, don't dismiss everything that we're reading of and, and singing about and, and, and considering this evening. Don't, in a cavalier way, dismiss Christianity as something that, that you don't need it and just say, well, I'm already happy. I'm already contented. I'm already well-fed. I'm already a decent person. And isn't that what religion is all about? No, not at all. It's erroneous. These erroneous notions that can be so very fatal to your life and to your soul 
these notions of self-fulfillment and self-gratification and self-sufficiency. That's what the Magi had before they left the East. If, if that was what all life was about and the very goal and purpose of meaning a life, then why would they have left the East? Why would they have come so far? Why would they have rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they st- saw the star that would lead them to Jesus? Later in his poem, G.K. Chesterton writes about the Magi specifically and says, and the rafters of, sto- of toil still are gilded with the dawn of the star of the heart and the wise men draw near in the twilight who are weary of learning and art. Friends, you can become weary of the happiness of this world if you don't know otherworldly joy, the very joy that is offered in seeing and worshiping Jesus. Which brings me to my final point. And the third thing that Jesus offers the wise men and even you this evening, and that is worship. Worship begins and ends their story. In verse two, it says that they've come to worship him. And then finally, in verse 11, they finally fall down. They finally get there, fall down and begin to worship Jesus because they finally have something in their lives greater than them. They finally have something wiser and stronger and more beautiful and more wonderful and more attractive than they themselves. And that is what all of us need this evening. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what your life has or does not, you need something greater in your life to be the ballast of your life that centers you, that is the very center of all existence and meaning. And worshiping at Jesus as God and Savior is what that is offered to you even tonight. Worshiping him will make you good. I want you to know that. But I also want you to know that being good won't make you worship him. In fact, it might keep you from it. Just like it kept that last guy with whom I had that regular scripted, cliche conversation that I often have. He was so good and so strong in the eyes of this world that he didn't know that he needed to worship. He didn't know that he was missing out on otherworldly joy. He didn't know that he wasn't experiencing gratitude. He had everything except a knowledge of where his goodness came from and something greater than himself to give himself to and to employ his giftedness for. And so is that you this evening? Because we all need to see tonight what the Magi saw thousands of years ago, and that is true strength, divine strength in the form of a child, strength that the world would not fully understand or completely comprehend until the cross. After this child had become a man, the one who, whom was foretold, the one who would die like a sacrifice for our sins and reconciliation with God. True strength in and through this child, true strength on the cross. This is how William Willimon describes it. Strength that lies in having so much power within oneself that one is free to be carefree with power, to give power away, to empty oneself. He who knows the value of life is the one who is able to give up life for others. The one who is master of all is the one who is able to be the servant of all. The one who is the richest is the one who knows how limited our checkbooks are in helping solve our deepest yearnings. The one who is most liberated in us is the one who yokes oneself to the plight of the oppressed. And that is ultimately Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God as one of us, God for us. He became what we are that we might become what he and he alone is. And so give thanks to him tonight. 
Give thanks to him for all that you have for your very life. Bow your hearts before him and worship him that you might know the joy and the life, the true life for which you were created. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray, I do pray, that each of us would indeed go home by another way, that we would go home changed tonight because of all of that which we are reading and singing and listening to, ultimately because of who you are and that which you have done in and through your son and that which you do even this night. So we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be poured out upon us in and through all that we do, that we might know you, love you, Lord Jesus, follow you and worship you as you alone deserve. We pray this in your name. Amen.